as a seminary professor, I don't do that many weddings. Uh, I'm an ordained minister, but I don't do that many weddings just due to my job. Uh, however, I do do a few, and every time uh, a couple wants to get married, one of the questions I ask the couple is, are there some favorite Bible verses or something that I can work into the standard uh, format that I use, depending on what they tell me I, I can or I can't. Um, I, interestingly, a couple, actually I've known this girl since her birth, uh, a very good family friend, wanted me to, wanted to be read and wanted my little homily, little seven-minute sermon you have in a wedding, to be from Colossians 3, and that's where our sermon's going to be from, Colossians 3 and 12 through 17. Uh, and when I read through that section, you'll, you'll probably figure out why she liked that. Uh, and it's a very good uh, section. Um, the text itself are a bunch of commands of how the church should interact with each other. How an individual in the church interact with another individual in the church. And, of course, she was taking it with that church interaction and then moving it to the marriage interaction. So as we go through the sermon today, most of the analogies and examples I'm going to use are from the, how the church interacts with each other, and that's what the text explicitly is about, and also how we should interact in your family, um, and if there's implications for outside interacting with non-Christians, too, but we'll stick to mostly how the church interacts together, and then how we should interact in our marriages. And we're going to concentrate really on one phrase, which is going to be in verse 13. We'll see it in a second. The phrase, forgiving others just as the Lord forgave you. Forgiving others just as the Lord forgave you. And that'll be most of the sermon on that one phrase. Allow me to read this great section, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And again, we'll be interested in the end of verse 13. Paul speaking, the written word of God. Put on then, as if these are clothing metaphors, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love. You could see the young bride was interested in that text there. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remind us of the great forgiveness you gave us, and may that motivate us through the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive others as you forgave us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In that section there, uh, Paul presents 12 items. He's using a metaphor of clothing, put on Christ like it's clothing, 12 different pieces of clothing, of which 11 of them are interactions between the church members, and then the final one uh, is sort of an overarching comment that he makes. Uh, Let me quickly go through these, and then we'll come back to the one about forgiving. Okay, 12 through 14, let me reread it. Uh, And he's going to have here uh, eight different items. Uh, Put on, then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds together in perfect harmony. And so here he has this great list of virtues and a couple of participles in there. Um, And all these are clothes, so to speak, that um, enhance our relationships with each other. And again, thinking of that young bride and thinking of married couples here, either young married or older married couples. What a great uh, list of virtues and uh, participles, as a few of them are, uh, as we interact with each other. And if we're truly converted by Christ, uh, these are possible. To have kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and above all, loving each other. Well, then in 1516... Uh, He goes on and he sort of has three imperatives, but we could call these more pieces of clothing. And let me quickly read them. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here he gives three more commands. Uh, let Christ, the peace of Christ, rule you or uh, arbitrate in your actions. Be thankful. He mentions that twice. And let the word of Christ dwell in you. And interestingly, as you sing together, one way the word of Christ dwells in you so that you can interact with each other. And again, the emphasis is on getting along with others in the church. If you're connected to Christ, You're connected to those in the church, and you should get along with them. Then finally, verse 17, and this is the overarching statement that would apply in all situations. Whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And again, this is this big overarching statement. Uh, The relationships with each other is a subset of this overarching statement. Do everything for Christ. Uh, And, of course, this is paralleled with other Bible statements, and, in fact, it's paralleled in our shorter catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Everything we do 
has many secondary motivations, but there's a primary motivation, which is to please the triune God. And so that, that, everything's a subset of that. And that's what verse 17 is another way of saying our uh, catechism question. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, so he has this list of 12 things. Now let's just look at one of them, the forgiving each other. So if you get, have your Bible, look at the uh, second half of 13. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. This is the, of all these articles of clothing or these uh, imperatives, this is the only one that has a logic to it. Why should you forgive? Well, why should you love? He doesn't really give a logic to that. Well, the rest of the Bible does, and it's an obvious logic. But here it gives a logic of why you should forgive. Because the Lord has forgiven you. And in fact, this is many times in the Bible, this concept. You should forgive others because the Lord has forgiven you. And in fact, as we, as we, we as the whole congregation said the uh, Lord's Prayer, uh, and I talked about it with the children here, it, forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins as we forgive others. Um, now, if you think about it, many aspects to the core of Christianity, it's hard to get Christianity down to a little dot, what's the dead center of Christianity, but there's a general center of Christianity, and one aspect of the general center of Christianity is we are sinners and Christ has forgiven us due to his merit and what he's done. We are forgiven because of what Christ did. That's, that's one of the main central points of Christianity. We're forgiven, we're sinners, and we're forgiven. And so he takes that core, one of those core issues, and then says, given that, shouldn't you forgive others? If one of the aspects, central parts of Christianity, the cross, even think of the, uh, uh, is the cross and forgiveness? I mean, the pattern of this room, I assume some ministers have told you this often, is in a cross, right? Do you realize that? You need to tell me. Do, do you realize that? Is that right? Do you realize there's the, the you know there's the long ways, and there's the cross here. And many churches in the history of Christianity have been built uh, in a cross. It's actually not that good for sound. It's a headache trying to get over there, and um, but they did it to make the point. The cross is one of the central issues of Christianity, and one of the central issues related to the cross is forgiveness. And if you think about it, if you are a true believer and part of the core is I'm forgiven based on what Christ has done, and then you do not, as a general rule, forgive others, how unthankful are you? Think about it. God forgave me. It's one of the core aspects of Christianity. But I won't forgive others. You are unbelievably un-
thankful. And in fact, the parable uh, that Mr. Williams read uh, with Jesus and the servants, there's the head guy and then there's uh, the first servant. First servant, he needs, he's in debt, goes to the head boss, forgive me my debt. And the head boss goes, oh, okay. So then that servant then goes to another servant, servant number two, and servant number two says to servant number one, hey, same exact words if you noticed in the parable, hey, I'm in debt, forgive me my debt. And then servant number one says, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and throws him in prison so that someone else will pay him the money to get the guy out of prison. Uh, and then Jesus says, and then they go back and tell the head guy, hey, do you know what servant number one did? Oh, and so now he's mad at that guy. Uh, and then Jesus makes the comment, there's a, an analogy there to the father and his true children. Saying explicitly in your mind, now due to sin, we, we do do this, but <laughs> saying in your mind, glory, I am forgiven by God, but I will not forgive others. It's almost by definition saying you're not a Christian. Now, due to sin, we sometimes act like that. But that's what the text is saying. Look at verse 13. One has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Or to say it another way, the higher your emotional and intellectual understanding of forgiveness is, by what God has done for you. Most likely, that'll then translate, you'll be a more forgiving person. The more you feel, the more you enjoy reminding yourself, I am forgiven by God. The logic should be, therefore, the more forgiving you are to others. Or say it another way, Christians should have a willing-to-forgive attitude or a quick-to-forgive way of thinking. Now, of course, let's talk about forgiveness and some of the little details just for a second. Of course, there's some situations where you can forgive someone, but they still have what uh, scholars call temporal consequences. Not eternal, but temporal consequences. In other words, they've done some significant sin, and, and you can forgive them, but there may be some consequences to it, uh, even though you have a heart of complete forgiveness toward that person. Assume uh, for sake of argument... Um, and maybe I should know, but I don't know who the treasurer is here. So this is purely hypothetical. Uh, who is the treasurer here? Okay. I, sh I probably should have known that. Uh, so maybe it's not hypothetical. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Assume the treasurer steals some money. Okay, that's not going to pure hypothetical. Assume he gets caught or assume on his own he comes and tells the, you know, the session, hey, I stole some money. 
Okay. If he repents, everyone in the church, in their heart, needs to forgive him. Now, there may be temporal consequences. We're not going to allow him to be a treasurer for the next X number of years or for, you know, there may be some consequences. But still in your heart, you should forgive him. Or just think of your children interacting with uh, your children or when they're younger. Uh, you know, they do something wrong. You still love them, but you give them a temporal uh, consequence. You cannot play video games for the next you know, day or something like that. Uh, there are aspects of uh, temporal uh, consequences. You know, there's other angles, too. Maybe the other party hasn't admitted they did something pretty bad. Well, okay, for complete forgiveness, they need to repent also, but still in your heart. You need to have a willing-to-forgive uh, attitude. Um, Think of, and I don't know all the details, uh, the, the, the church in Charleston where the gentleman went into the prayer meeting and, and shot a bunch of the people. And the national press was amazed that the church members said they forgave the murderer. Now, it didn't mean he wasn't going to have temporal consequences, but they couldn't grasp this. Um, of course, needless to say, it'd be very hard to do, but still we're called to do that. Um, and in that scenario, and I don't know the details here, you know, maybe at least at one point that young man was not saying he was repentant. Uh, you know, for full forgiveness, he needs to repent too. But still, in your heart, a willingness to forgive. Um, and ultimately, your motive is God forgave me. How unthankful not to forgive someone else. Um, in my professor job, I interact with the scholars from other countries, or some amount. And uh, a couple of times they've mentioned to me that America's like this place of second, third, fourth chances. And they're comparing it to their own country, where it's not from their perspective. Um, and I don't know if that relates to our American heritage, related to aspects of Christianity. I, I don't know all the details there, but the fact that our country's known as a place of second, third chances, assuming someone repents, I kind of like that. Um, I'm not 100% sure that's connected to our Christian heritage, but if it is, I kind of like it. Um, yeah, what's one reason we give people second, third chances? Because we know God forgave us. Again, sometimes there can be temporal consequences to that effect. Um, now, in most situations occurring in this church or in your family, and if we're not talking about little children, uh, there are no, the wrong that's been committed, there, there's no temporal consequences required. Right? Um, uh, you know, there should be complete forgiveness 
of the other person. Um, you know, it's all these little petty instances where you feel slighted or annoyed by what someone else did. And maybe it was annoying, but still, uh, you know, no repentance necessary. Maybe you're the one that needs to repent for being so easily annoyed or something to that effect. Um, uh, one of my, I had a sermon on Proverbs a couple weeks ago here. But one of my favorite little verses from Proverbs, 1911 happens to be, uh, and it's the second half of the verse here. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It is to his, or the Christian's splendor, is to the Christian's splendor to overlook an offense. It is to your splendor to overlook an offense. God has forgiven you. Can't you just, don't worry about it if someone does some little minor thing they shouldn't have done. There are certain scenarios you've got to teach people, okay. But just in a vast majority of scenarios, uh, in my, uh, we've been married, uh, Jill and I have been married 37 years, and I'll say for about the first 20, well, it's always been my job to take out the garbage, all 37 years. But I'll say for about the first 20, I could not remember this. Uh, I would forget it, and she would get annoyed at this. Um, it's not like I walked by the garbage and said, no, I'm not going to take it out. I just didn't think, I don't know, whatever my excuse was. And I have none, but, uh, but she'd say, well, I forgive you. And that was the right <laughs> answer. God had forgiven her. She needs to forgive me of my annoying forgetting to take out the garbage. I've gotten a lot better more recently, but um, and I don't know this congregation very well. Uh, I can imagine there's are probably some very difficult family situations, or maybe if it's people here and it's your adult brother or sister, some really difficult family tensions. At a minimum, you need to have in your heart a quick-to-forgive attitude. Maybe your adult sister doesn't want to have anything to do with your family, and so she's the one blocking. But as soon as she opens it up, you need to quickly forgive, take advantage of it. God has forgiven you, and you really believe that. And if you're a true Christian, it is really true. Should you not, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he can give you that power to forgive others. Again, there's many angles to forgiveness, but here it goes right to the big one. God forgave you. You ought to forgive others. Another angle of, of forgiveness uh, is for the person giving forgiveness, sometimes there can be joy in that. You know, in other situations, it's hard, but other ones can be a joy. If you think of uh, some of Jesus' parables, and if you want to, run to Luke 15, where he gives three parables, and sometimes we call them uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or the prodigal son. 
And to just read a few of these verses, uh, the first one's about, uh, well, I'll read the opening. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he even eats with them. Then Jesus tells the three parables, and the first one's about the person who lost the sheep. Uh, He has 99 sheep, and then reading here, uh, and he finds that one sheep, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Uh, Jesus says, Just as I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then there's the coin. The woman was looking for a coin. She's sweeping the house, and she finally finds uh, the coin. And she says, And when she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over the one sinner who repents. And then there's the story of the prodigal son. I assume you know it. He's, he's kind of a jerk, and he wants all his inheritance. He runs to, the bad, to the, another country, spends all his inheritance, and he's eating, and he's now very, very poor. And he's like, well, if I go back to my father, even if he makes me a slave I'll be, or a servant, I'll have more food than where I am. Uh, now, and then uh, the father sees the son and reading, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on, and bring a ring for his hand, the shoe for his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let them celebrate. For this my son was dead, but is now alive again. He was lost, but is now found. And they began to celebrate. And it uh, ends the parable. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad For this your brother was dead, he's alive, he was lost, and is found. There can be, in certain scenarios, a joy in forgiving others. Uh, In my life, uh, it happened, um, uh, I'm starting my 25th year of teaching, so I've had a lot of students, and um, the vast majority are wonderful people. And uh, at our school, we rarely have a cheating problem. Um, I got this call, now this is probably, I don't want to say how many years, you may figure, I don't want a student to know who I'm talking about, but it was a while ago. I got this call from a guy who had graduated, it was five years, he was a very wonderful student, wonderful person, and from a human perspective, was doing very, very well in the ministry. And I get this call. He lives several states away by this time. Dr. Kerr, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm busy right now, but we'll, let's set up a time and we can talk. No, I need to drive up there and talk to you in person. Like, um, it's a little odd. Um, Okay, so we set up a time on a Saturday, actually. So I'm, you know, I'm running through the options of, did this, there's something a little more serious here for him to do this. 
is a long drive from where he is to Charlotte. Well, anyway, he, he drives to Charlotte, and he, uh, his wife's there, and his wife's sort of out in the foyer. He comes into my office, shuts the door, and he tells me the story of how it was, it was a gray area, it, but he quasi-cheated on some Greek tests that I had uh, given him. Um, and he was just distraught over this. Uh, and my Greek tests can be hard, right, Mr. Williams? <laughs> uh, um, well, I was guess, you know, in my mind I had several scenarios of what he was going to bring up. I wasn't expecting that explicitly, but uh, I ran to a couple passages, and I just immediately said, oh, you know, I read the, one of these scriptures, said, you're forgiven, and I'm actually happy to say it. You know, and he was crying. He's not a crier type of guy. Um, and as a temporal competence, he did a little paper just for me to do, but I, you know, I didn't tell anybody. And I, I can remember him leaving the door. He opens the door. He runs out to his wife and is crying and hugging his wife. He felt really, really good, I'm sure. I felt good. There was a joy in forgiving others. There's a joy in forgiveness. And think of those parables. There's a joy from God's side to forgiving us. In certain of our situations, again, sometimes forgiving others is hard. But there can be sometimes a joy in forgiving others. If one of the main aspects of Christianity is that you are forgiven, should we not be quick to forgive others in our church family, in our immediate family, and by implication, you know, with non-Christians also? Paul said, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You may not know, but uh, the book of Colossians, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians about the same time, and there's a lot of par parallels between the two books. And let me end the sermon by reading Paul's parallel to this. And if you want to, it's over in Ephesians. So chapter 4, 31 and 32. And you'll see he goes negative and then he'll go positive. Some think that Abraham Lincoln used these verses for the second inaugural address. It's not as clear as day, but you may recognize it. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, the negative. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. Also, all malice be put away from you, the negative. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're thrilled that even though we're sinners, you had the plan of salvation and the work of Christ applied to us by the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the joy you have in forgiving us. Aid us in having joy in forgiving others. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.